Welcome everybody to another episode of Stories of S's. I am Debbie. And I'm Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to have such a fun episode. Danny knows my obsession. I do. I really do. Um, hopefully you guys all had a great Super Bowl weekend. Hopefully Tay Swift made an appearance for the Chiefs game against the other red game. I saw this meme that was like, it's red versus red Taylor's version. <laughs> um, so I hope you guys all had a wonderful Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the most important weekend of the year in the U.S. Yeah, that and uh, spring break. Spring break. <laughs> Um, but in all honesty, we are very excited for this new episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in every week and for going to YouTube and watching the YouTube videos. Um, that just means a lot to us. It really does. So to start off, baby, did you ever watch the show Gilmore Girls? I never watched it before we got together so yes i watched it but i only watched it with you and i know that you probably know the script like inside out <laughs> i don't i just know a couple of episodes i don't have like the full storyline and all that stuff but i know some you know a little bit well today everyone we are going to talk about the reigning lorelei lorelei victoria gilmore so Fun fact, the funnest fact ever, her birthday is the day before mine. Oh, that's so great. It's like April vibes. April vibes. She's a Taurus, and I'm like, I get that. She's always been my favorite character. Her and Suki, um, her best friend in the show, are my favorite characters, and I think they're hilarious. They are. They really have a good sense of humor. And I think that goes through, like, the whole series. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This week's resources are Sneakily Feminist, A Gilmore Girl Analysis by Cataline Pig, Gilmore Girls, The Intersection of Feminist and Social Capital by Megan Rucker, GilmoreGirls.Fandom.com, Medium.com, and Wikipedia.org. Thank you so much, Wikipedia, for everything you've done. I could have never have gotten this far in life without you. <laughs> and now we can add ChatGBT to that. And ChatGBT, thank you so much. They're they're forever our our loves. Always checking our grammar. Thank you. And here we go. The story of Lorelai Victoria Gilmore. She was born to Emily and Richard Gilmore in Hartford, Connecticut. Her life growing up was complicated due to an overbearing, neurotic mother and a workaholic father who both expected Lorda. Lorelai to live in their world of wealth and privilege. Lorelai is a highly talkative, free-spirited woman, a child of the 80s, and part of the MTV generation. Her parents had her future all planned out and arranged for her to come out to society after her 16th birthday. But Lorelai was always rebellious and resentful of her structured, sheltered, and silver spoon upbringing. She became pregnant with Christopher Hayden and home and left home shortly after Rory's birth to create her own independent life suited for her personality and wishes. 
Lorelai's eating habits are famously unhealthy. She is a caffeine addict and subsists mostly on diner food and takeout, which influences her daughter, Rory. She and Rory have regular food and movie nights, during which they buy enough junk food for several people and proceed to eat most of it. The only time Lorelai desired fruit and vegetables was when she was pregnant with Rory. Lorelai has an excellent metabolism. She is very childish and cannot grow up. She's sarcastic and funny, like a comedian, and is very loyal to people and nice. She doesn't cook. When not eating leftover takeout or junk food, she frequents Luke's diner, and Luke is one of the big characters of the story. Rory and Lorelai usually enjoy breakfast at Luke's daily and sometimes eat lunch or dinner there as well. For those times when Lorelai is required to prepare something domestically, such as the Chilton Bake Sale, where Rory goes to school... She asks chef friend Suki St. James to do the cooking. Lorelai is innately humorous. She has a witty remark for every situation, often with pop culture reference. Her remarks can either confuse or charm those who aren't familiar with her. She's also known for being very talkative and having a way with words. Max Medina calls her a wordsmith. He's one is another character of the show. Additionally, as the manager of the Independence Inn, later as the co-owner of the Dragonfly Inn with Suki St. James, she is able to think quickly on her feet and handle various situations such as improving rooms for people when the inn catches fire. As a teenager, Lorelai dated Christopher Hayden, son of Straub and Francine Hayden, while in high school and became pregnant right before her society debut at 16, which embarrassed and disappointed her parents. Although Lorelai is aggrieved by her parents' lack of understanding, deep down she is no, she knows how they felt. When Straub tried to convince Emily and Richard that Lorelai should have had an abortion, Emily completely refused and they decide to have them marry instead, while Christopher would work for Richard's company. Christopher was amenable, but Lorelai knew they weren't ready. I mean, they were 16. Lorelai is known for being stronger and more independent than Christopher. When she realized she was in labor, she drove herself to the hospital despite not having a driver's license. She left a note addressed to her parents and then headed to the hospital. She was like, hey, mom, having a baby. Be back later. Be right back. BRB. Emily and Richard arrived at the hospital just as Lorelai was about to be moved to delivery. After an agonizing delivery, Lorelai Lee Gilmore was born, a.k.a. Rory. She lived with her parents for a year before running away to find a job at the Independence Inn in Stars Hollow. The owner of the inn, Mia Base, took her in, gave her a job as a maid, and let her and Rory live in the back in a renovated potting shed. Years go by, Rory grows up, and Lorelai has continued to stay in the business, working her way up to manager. The inn is where she met her best friend, chef, Suki St. James, and Michelle, the sarcastic concierge. The three share an odd but loving relationship and grow closer as the years go on. Suki and Lorelai's friendship becomes a business partnership in their later episodes. 
Lorelai also created a strong bond with another local resident, Luke Danes. He is the owner of the town's local diner, Luke's Diner. And their relationship is fun and extremely solid. Luke would do just about anything to help out Lorelai and Rory and vice versa. Some people in town believe Luke and Lorelai are meant to be together, but neither of them seem to want to ruin their relationship with romance, or maybe the opportunity hasn't arisen yet in the early seasons. I think they just didn't dare to. Yeah, because I mean, they're friends. And then... Either way, um, Luke is a constant figure in Lorelai and Rory's lives, as they meet almost every morning at his diner for breakfast. Lorelai is thrilled to find out that Rory has been accepted into the prestigious prep school at Chilton. However, there is one small problem. Lorelai cannot fund this educational venture on her own, right? Because Rory really wants to go to an Ivy League school and she really wants to like be part of a, a school that will like move her to that place. And so Chilton is this really private, prestigious prep school to get her into a really good college. So Lorelai, her mom, swallows her pride and resorts to returning to Emily and Richard for a favor. Lorelai's parents agree to pay their granddaughter's tuition on one condition. Both Lorelai and Rory must attend Friday night dinners every week. Lorelai reluctantly agrees, and a tiny sliver of hope for a relationship with her parents begins. Eventually, through Rory, Lorelai meets Max Medina, an English professor at Chilton High. They begin to date and things start to heat up between them. After a few months of dating, Matt proposes to Lorelai in the first heat of the moment after a fight, which Lorelai refuses, and then a second after he realizes that he can't live without her. Everything was set for the big day, and all was going to was going according to plan, but Lorelai had a change of heart. She woke Rory during the more early morning hours and suggested they take a road trip. Rory, confused, asked what was wrong, and Lorelai replied that the wedding was off. During the time of Suki's wedding, Christopher, if you remember, Rory's dad, Mm -hmm. returns, and he and Lorelai briefly get together and plan to live as a family with Rory. However, it does not last because his girlfriend, who he was about to break up with, Sherry, announces that she's pregnant. Not wanting to ruin his relationship with his unborn child, as he did with Rory, Christopher returns to Sherry. Lorelai is heartbroken, and Rory is very upset with her father for hurting her and her mother a second time. A few months later, when Mia visits Sarts Hollow, Lorelai mentions that she and Suki have been thinking about opening their own inn. Mia replies that the timing is perfect, and she's thinking of selling the Independence Inn. Lorelai is greatly troubled by this, as the Independence Inn was where she and Rory lived for many years when they first came to Stars Hollow. It is where Rory grew up and took her first steps, and consequently, Lorelai and Suki temporarily abandoned their project, but soon get back on track. The girls find the inn of their dreams, the old Dragonfly Inn. However, the current owner, Fran, is not interested in selling in 2003 the rowback. Fran unfortunately passes on and her next of kin agrees to sell the dragonfly into Lorelai and Suki. Lorelai and Suki jump at the chance of a lifetime and the deal goes through. 
Lorelai, Suki, and Michelle then take on the task of restoring the inn so it can be as lively as it once was. Lorelai's father, during this time, decided to quit his job and go into business for himself, a.k.a. Richard Gilmore. He brings along the son of his former employer, and together they create a large investment firm, Jason Digger Styles. The son of the former employer, at first, is not one of Lorelai's favorite people, but soon, but soon the two become smitten with each other and begin dating. They both decide to keep this from their parents, but after some time, the secret becomes known, and Richard takes out his disappointment on Jason by returning to his old job and leaving Jason in the dust. I think that's so interesting that they put like once they introduce like new characters right like to the families or to the viewers basically mm -hmm. it always ends up in some type of relationship with either with like Lorelai or with Rory yeah yeah that's true and then it somehow always gets to a point where the relationship is not working out or there's something else that is making the relationship hard and so they break up or there's someone new coming in mm -hmm. or someone old actually coming in which happens quite a lot in the series too and right there's a lot of like back and forth basically back and forth absolutely right? and it's always the back and forth where you would have thought oh like no way that that's going to happen again but somehow decisions are made decisions are made and i don't exactly. know if those are good decisions or not but i mean that's what everyone has to decide <laughs> Um, so Lorelai is furious with her father after, you know, basically leaving Jason in the dust and tries to get him to reconsider, but to no avail. She then learns that Jason has decided to sue her father for damages and that throws her for a loop. She tells him she cannot date someone suing a member of her family and they break up. And here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Lorelai attended Hartford Community College and earned an Associate of Arts degree in business while running the Independence Inn. After the inn burned down, she and Suki owned and operated the Independence Catering Company in order to fund renovation of the Dragonfly Inn, their long-term dreams, which opened to rave reviews on May 6, 2004, which is like a month and a couple days after Rafa was born. Oh my god. Jeez. Right? It's just like, it seems so long ago. 20 years ago. It's 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. After some time, Lori, Lorelai, and Soki and Michelle decide that they need to do a test run on their new inn, just to work out the kinks in the service before the big opening. During the test run of the inn, Lorelai asks Rory help in creating a memorable event for various guests from around town, such as Luke, Miss Patty, Taylor, Kirk, and his girlfriend Lulu, Emily and Richard, and Babette. Unfortunately, the beginnings of a romantic relationship between Luke and Lorelai almost come to a halt when Jason, Richard's ex-partner, and Lorelai's ex-boyfriend shows up to express his love for Lorelai. Again. Again. Like you were saying, they come back and forth every I'm time. I'm telling you, it's crazy drama. <laughs> like that's because as I said, like I didn't watch like all of the episodes and then today I was just like reading through the Wikipedia summary of the different um seasons. And I was like, Oh my god, like I never 
experience the episodes that we watched as that this much back and forth drama all the time like people coming in people going out people coming back in and people going back out <laughs> yeah that is true and it doesn't stop but Laura, Luke and Lorelai are able to work it out and finally share their first kiss however her excitement to share the news with Rory turns into disappointment when she goes to their house and realizes that Rory and her ex-boyfriend, Dean, whom is now married, have had sex. Lorelai and Rory get into a fight over the fact that Rory is now the other woman in Dean's life, and that she helped him cheat on his wife. Rory is very upset and leaves, only to realize her mom is right. Lorelai's relationship with Luke quickly becomes serious. She even brings him home to meet her parents. However, Emily does not think that Luke is good enough for Lorelai, so she goes to Christopher, who has since broken up with Sherry, and tells him that he should try his luck with Lorelai because they are, quote, meant to be together. Again. When Lorelai and Luke go to Emily and Richard's vow renewal, they find that Christopher is also attending. There, Christopher declares his undying, undying love for Lorelai, stating that everyone knows we are meant for each other. Luke leaves in a fury, telling Lorelai that he needs time to think. Over the next few days, Lorelai persistently tries to talk to him, and he finally snaps, saying that if she can accept that he needs time, then they should break up. Lorelai is miserable, and soon we see that Luke is all well. And Lorelai stops going to Friday night dinners, furious about Emily's involvement. Finally, Emily goes to see Luke and tells him that Lorelai really loves him and that they should get back together. Again. Again. So, jeez. So much drama. So much drama. Luke goes to Lorelai's house. They kiss and make up. And at the end of the fifth season, Lorelai proposes to Luke and he accepts. However... Luke learns in season six that he has a daughter, but he doesn't tell Lorelai. Lorelai later finds out about Luke's daughter, and they hit kind of a rough, rough patch, and they decide to postpone the wedding. So at the same time, Christopher receives his inheritance And he starts to pay for Yale and the Friday night dinners that Lorelai and Rory had with Emily and Richard are not so mandatory anymore. And this all comes to a head with um, just Lorelai feeling like, okay, now is a chance for her to like get on with her life, for her to not have to like always worry about, you know, her parents deciding her life. And so she tells Luke, like, let's elope. We don't have to, you know, wait. Let's just, we love each other. Let's just get married, the two of us. And she poses this ultimatum to Luke. And it ends up breaking them up because he says no. Um, And then she goes and sleeps with Christopher. Okay, so if you watch the whole thing the first time and i think this is episode uh so season six right mm -hmm. so it's almost at the end of the whole thing which of course you don't know if you watch it for the first time maybe there are more seasons to come but 
would you have thought that she proposed and I mean, they basically figured it out that Luke would say no? I didn't think that he would say no because he like loves her so much. And just like the when you watch the first five seasons, you see how much he values her opinion, respects her, takes care of her, takes care of Rory, you know, has been part of their lives for many, many years. And I think that it was a lot for him, for sure. But I think Lorelai was ready because when you watch the show, you see how much Lorelai waited um, for certain aspects of her life to be good for her to like, you know, do certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after breaking up with Luke, she goes back and starts dating Christopher again. Again. In the final season of the original series, Lorelai and Christopher jet off to Paris where they impulsively get married. When Lorelai returns home and informs Rory and the rest of Stars Hollow, including Luke, that she and Christopher are married, she gets mixed reactions. Rory is upset at first but comes around since all she really wants is her mom and for that matter her dad to be happy. Throughout the season, Christopher and Lorelai face some significant problems. The biggest one is when Lorelai needs to write a character reference for Luke so he can have partial custody of his daughter, April. Christopher finds a draft of the letter, and when reading it, he realizes that Lorelai still loves Luke. Lorelai tries to deny it, but they both soon realize that they're better off as friends, so her and Christopher. In the end of... The entire series, the original series, Lorelai reunites with Luke. She realizes how much she loves Luke when she finds out that he was the one who planned Rory's goodbye party for the entire town. Lorelai re realizes that Luke has been there for her from the beginning and loves her and her daughter. In one of the final scenes of the show, Lorelai and Luke share a passionate kiss and get back together. And finally ready to settle into a stable relationship again so that was in 2007 the wrap of the original series in 2016 there was like a revival miniseries on netflix called a year in the life here we see that lorelei and luke have built a life together they are living together in her home he still runs the diner and she still owns her inn but they have not gotten married Throughout the four episodes, Lorelai goes through a lot, especially with her relationship with her mother. Lorelai and Emily always had a strange relationship, yet over the years, it had gotten better. In the revival, the two go to family therapy. Lorelai also goes on her own version of Wild, where she tries to find herself. When she returns, she realizes her life is with Luke and Stars Hollow, and she's happy. The show ends with Lorelai and Luke's wedding in the center of Stars Hollow at dawn with some of her closest friends, Michelle, Lane, Kirk, and Rory. In the very last scene of the show, Lorelai sits with Rory as they reflect on all of it, right? And suddenly Rory turns to her mother and tells her that she is pregnant.
Lorelai Gilmore faced the challenges of motherhood at a young age, leaving home at 16 to raise her daughter, Rory, independently while working her way up at the Independence Inn. Despite the hardship she encountered, Lorelai maintained a sense of optimism. Even though she missed out on the privileged upbringing her parents, Emily and Richard, could have provided, this reversal of roles, with Lorelai assuming the role of the adventurous teenager and Rory acting as the responsible parent figure, is a unique dynamic often observed between the two of them. Like, they acknowledge that that's kind of like their relationship. Lorelai's unconventional journey into adulthood, marked by her skipped childhood and relatively close age to Rory, allows her to embrace a cool and relatable parenting style. Her ability to channel her circumstances into a joyful life for herself and Rory, guided by hope and existential ideals, shields her character from criticism. In contrast to her upbringing, Lorelai raises Rory with a more liberal and healthy approach, drawing from her own experiences rather than emulating her parents. Despite being criticized for her occasional irresponsibility and immaturity, Lorelai is a conscious parent who actively engages with Rory in all aspects of her life. Lorelai's resilience and positivity stem from her refusal to dwell on what-if scenarios and instead focus on creating new aspirations. While her disdain for her parents' parenting style influences her own, it is not the sole driver of her happiness. Lorelai emerges as a vibrant, optimistic character, choosing to embrace life's challenges rather than succumb to bitterness or blame. Though Lorelai's journey may seem privileged compared to others, her conscious decision to nurture herself and embrace her natural instincts set her apart. Throughout the show, Lorelai teaches the importance of investing in one's own happiness and finding joy amidst life's trials. While some fans blame Lorelai for Rory's shortcomings and attribute them to her pampering, I think we should disagree with that perspective. My personal opinion. opinion. <laughs> Although Lorelai's parenting had its faults, such as fostering high expectations in Rory without preparing her for the consequences of perfectionism, it is important to acknowledge the challenges Lorelai faced as a single mother. Lorelai's overprotective nature is understandable given her circumstances, but it doesn't excuse her from accountability. She should have intervened when Rory's behavior escalated, such as stealing a yacht or making morally questionable decisions like dropping out of Yale. However, Lorelai does assert herself when necessary, particularly in moments of serious misconduct. You know, as a mom with Rory in this in the series, she lets a lot of things slide because, you know, she was a teen mom and she knows that, you know, mistakes happen. She knows that teenagers will be teenagers. And the best thing that you can do is guide them to make the best decision with the best information that they have. Yeah, I agree. She did let slide a couple of things, even though I did not watch all the episodes. Yeah, I saw some moments. But when something is really, really serious, she draws a hard line and she's like, no, that you know better. Yeah. You fucked up. And also on the other hand, I mean, Rory is like not misbehaving all the time. They are like 
certain episodes, but in general, you can tell that she's making mainly good decisions. Yeah, and despite her flaws, Lorelai demonstrates growth and maturity throughout the series. From her early 30s to nearing her 60s in Year in a Life, she undergoes significant personal development. While age brings wisdom, Lorelai's journey involves more than just psychological growth. She learns to see things from others' perspectives, heals from past wounds, and becomes more patient and considerate and empathetic. I always thought that she was kind of empathetic. I mean, she, she had good humor and like, could talk to people a lot. So Yeah, she's always... You know, like she was raised in a world where her parents weren't that empathetic. They had, they lived in their bubble and she kind of saw her parents' life of this is what not to do yeah. in her own life. Yeah. So from the papers that I selected for this week, um, we're going to talk about like how, you know, Lorelai and her raising Rory and her example um, has really, you know, been an example for a lot of women and young women who watched Gilmore Girls growing up. Um, but I want to preface this by talking a little bit about feminist theory. Because I think this, well, what I'm about to, you know, talk about right now, um, for our listeners, it's important for them to know that, you know, feminism isn't a Western thing. It's a global thing. Um, again, we talk about it just in in the world of ideas. It's all about PR, right? Who had the best PR? And the Western world typically has had the best one. But that's not to say that feminism is just for Western cultures. It is not... You know, currently in South Korea, there is a really big movement called the 4B movement where, you know, misogyny and, um, you know, crimes against women are so bad that basically they're like, well, if you're not going to help us better our society, then we're just not going to participate in the society in the way you're telling us to. You can't make us. So... I just want to say that there's there's so much um, and I think that it's important for us, you know, as the podcasters and our listeners um, to know, you know, what what does this all mean? What are they talking about? Like, what are the roots of everything? Um, so feminist theory and practice have diverse origins and evolutionary phases spanning from ancient times through modernity and projecting into the future. While commonly perceived as a Western construct, feminism transcends geographical boundaries, constituting a global social and political movement. In the United States, the recognizable feminist movement emerged in mid-19th century and endures into the 21st century. Characterized by several smaller waves within the overarching movement, the initial wave originally originating from a desire to expand opportunities for women, particularly focus on suffrage, set the foundation. 
Subsequently, the second wave, evolving around the 1960s, centered on issues of sexuality and reproductive rights. The third wave, which dawned in the 1960s, emphasized the intersection of beauty and the intelligence for women. Beyond the tangible moments lies the conceptual framework of feminism, as articulated by um, Ferguson. Understanding feminism as both a social theory and a lived reality and a lived reality is crucial, particularly as depicted in the diverse experience of the Gilmore women who navigate their own versions of femininity and empowerment. The Seneca Falls Convention of 1848 marked the seminal movement in the birth of the feminist movement where advocates, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton, conveyed to champion women's equality. This historic event catalyzed discussions challenging societal norms, particularly concerning women's suffrage. Feminist movements are propelled by a quest for social transformation, aspiring to pave a smooth path for the future generations of women, indebted to resilience and activism of the predecessors. Recognizing the foundational role of past feminism endeavors and underscores the significance of present-day advocacy, even for seemingly established rights like suffrage, Bell Hooks succinctly defines feminism as a multifaceted effort to combat sexism and oppression. The second wave of feminism spanning from the 1960s to the mid-90s foregrounded issues of sexuality, reproductive rights, and the pursuit of true social equality. Symbolized by events like Miss America pageant protests in 1968, this phase also delineated distinctions between biological sex and socially constructed gender. Judith Butler's contributions further illuminated these distinctions, emphasizing the fluidity of gender identity. Concurrently, feminism evolved into a theoretical discourse, with Ferguson discussing her interpretive and genealogical perspectives, challenging the notion of singular patriarchal center. The advent of third-wave feminism in the mid-1990s, steered by post-colonial and post-modern ideologies, witnessed a reclamation of femininity and a broadened focus on intersectionality. This phase aimed to empower women to redefine femininity on personal terms, embracing diverse experiences and identities. Additionally, the advocacy of women of color, exemplified by bell hooks, highlighted the unique challenges faced by non-white women within the feminist movement, prompting a reevaluation of racial dynamics within feminist discourse. The intersectional approach catalyzed a deeper, more inclusive feminist movement, fortified by an acknowledgement of diverse experiences and struggles. As feminism progresses into what may be termed the fourth wave, the role of digital platforms and social media emerges as a defining feature. Facilitating widespread activism and discourse on gender issues, issues central to contemporary feminist movements such as violence, equal opportunity, and sexual objectification resonate with the experiences of the characters in Gilmore Girls, underscoring the relevance of feminist dialogue across generations. 
Feminist film theory challenges traditional portrayals of women in media, particularly addressing how heteronormativity and representations of femininity. It serves as a critical lens for analyzing how theory, how films and television depict women's roles and treatment with narratives. Early feminism television theory, as discussed by Julie Diachi, highlights the tension between including men, including women in shows while maintaining conservative ideals of femininity. These portrayals often featured women as young, white, middle class, and primarily in domestic roles, reinforcing traditional gender norms. Diachi emphasizes that for a show to align with feminist television theory, its storyline must foreground feminist issues and feature women in protagonist roles. Annette Kuhn expands on this, suggesting that feminist television narratives should adopt a female perspective and often incorporate psychoanalytic elements such as scopophilia and voyeurism. Laura Mulvey's concept of the male gaze in cinema further delves into how camera angles and portrayals of women reinforce male dominance and objectification. So it's not just like the storyline that is really important, but also something is technical of how the camera is angled that is important for the show, which Gilmore Girls really does well, where it's, you know, a female writer, the protagonists are, you know, women, um, there are different roles that each woman plays, right? There are, you know, girls who go to college, girls who don't, girls who get married, girls who become a housewife, girls who become business partners, girls who become moms, girls who don't. Like, it's such an array of different types of women. And it's like, all of these women are equal, even though their path in life is very, very different. That's true. And they're really... Just thinking about it, like while you were listing all the things, the amount of female characters in the series is quite high. It's quite high, yeah, absolutely. Like you, you have the mom, you have the daughter, you have the friends of the both of them, and most of them are all women. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when it comes to the camera perspective, I mean, I'm, I know that the camera perspective has a big influence on how you perceive certain things. Um, in the context of the series, I couldn't really tell. Mm-hmm. But I guess just because it did not change over the series. So I think it was just natural in the way that it started in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe we have to watch something else to give it like a comparison. To give a comparison, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I feel like that's what I'm lacking here. I think instinctively, I think of Game of Thrones. Um, just mm -hmm. in the way how, like, even like, you know, the issues with nudity of Game of Thrones, how, you know, the women in the show were, were forced, like the actresses were forced to have certain nude scenes that they were uncomfortable with until they spoke out and were like, I'm not going to, you know, shoot another nude scene if my counterpart isn't going to show, isn't going to be shown nude either. Mm. 
So I think that's, that's just something that comes to mind to me instinctively is thinking of just even that, that sense of how a woman is supposed to be portrayed and um, seen from a technical term and also from um, a creative term. So contrastingly, Marianne Doan explores the idea of female gaze, the concept of masquerade in film drawing from Joan Rivers' notion of women adopting femininity to navigate male-dominated spaces. Doan argues that femininity and sexuality are social constructs that can be wielded as tools of power, challenging traditional notions of passive female objectification. She posits that while some scenes may appear to reflect a female, a male gaze, they may actually represent a modified female gaze where women are aware of their agency and use it to their advantage. In the context of Gilmore Girls, these feminist film theories offer insights into the portrayal of female characters and their agency in navigating social expectations. The series often explores themes of femininity empowerment, and the negotiation of gender roles, echoing the complexities of feminist discourse in the media. The few scholars that have discussed feminism in this series of the Gilmore Girls are critical of how feminism is represented in Gilmore Girls. However, um, we have to critique what alternative explanations could there be. So McCaffrey believes that Rory is not independent enough to accurately represent feminist ideology, while Lorelai, on the other hand, does everything in her power to stay independent throughout the series and upholds the ideals of feminism. Another critic, Stern, points out that feminism displayed in Gilmore Girls is excellent at times, but is also counteracted by other moments when the girls must rely on men to help them. Feminist perspectives vary on the use of the term slut and its alignment with feminist ideology. However, many third wave feminists utilize this term positively to change societal norms surrounding promiscuity and gender double standards. By reclaiming the term, these feminists empower women to confront and dismantle the stigma associated with female sexuality. This approach is exemplified in a scene from the pilot episode of Gilmore Girls, where Lorelai jokingly suggests that she would sleep with the school principal to secure her daughter Rory's admission to the prestigious prep school. The scene plays out when Rory walks in shortly after this conversation and sees Lorelai and Suki jumping with excitement. And here's how it goes. Rory, you're happy, Lorelai. Yeah. Rory, did you do something slutty, Lorelai? I'm not that happy. In the scene, Rory's non-judgmental inquiry about Lorelai's happiness, implying that it may be linked to engaging promiscuous behavior, reflects a positive reinterpretation of sexuality. This challenges a societal norm that condemns female promiscuity while accepting it in men. By joking about using sex as a means of gaining advantage in a male-dominated world, Lorelai acknowledges the complex relationship between sex and power. However, it also highlights the pitfalls of equating sexual prowess with empowerment as men f as women find it themselves trapped in subservient roles. Lorelai's recognition of the prevalence of using sex for advancement, even in high-profile contexts like politics, 
underscores the broader societal dynamics at play. Despite the potential allure of using sex as a tool for advancement, the scene subtly critiques the limitations and dangers of reducing women's agency to their social, sexual appeal. Though this nuanced portrayal, Gilmore Girls, engages with feminist discourse surrounding female sexuality and power dynamics in contemporary society. Lorelai Gilmore's character in Gilmore Girls is a multifaceted embodiment of feminism values, as her actions and beliefs consistently challenge traditional gender norms and advocate for autonomy, intelligence, and gender equality. So, how does she, Lorelai Victoria Gilmore, the Taurus Queen, embrace autonomy? So, Lorelai's journey towards independence is a central theme in the series. Despite facing pressure from her parents to conform to societal expectations, particularly after becoming pregnant at a young age, Lorelai chooses to forge her own path. Her decision to reject marriage and pursue her own career and life goals demonstrated her commitment to autonomy and self-determination. By refusing to be constrained by traditional gender roles, Lorelai embodies feminist ideals of agency and independence. 2. She embraces intelligence. Lorelai's emphasis on education and intelligence is another aspect of her feminist identity. She prioritizes Rory education and encourages her to pursue academic success, recognizing it as a means of empowerment and self-sufficiency. Lorelai's belief in the importance of intelligence challenges stereotypes about women's capability and reinforces the value of education in achieving personal and professional fulfillment. 3. Gender Nonconformity Lorelai and Rory's rejection of gender stereotypes is evident throughout the series. They both defy societal expectations of how women should behave and present themselves, often through witty remarks and unconventional actions. Lorelai's refusal to conform to traditional ideals of motherhood, such as her open discussions about sensitive topics like teen pregnancy, challenges the notion that women should adhere to restrictive gender roles. By embracing their individuality and refusing to be confined by gender norms, Lorelai and Rory promote the idea that women can be assertive, intelligent, and independent. And finally, four, oppression. Lorelai and Rory's awareness of gender oppression and their willingness to speak out against it reflects in their feminist values. Their critique of the Donna Reed show and acknowledgement of the oppressive gender dynamics depicted in the show highlight their commitment to gender equality. Lorelai and Rory's refusal to accept societal norms that perpetuate inequality demonstrates their advocacy for women's rights and their rejection of oppressive patriarchal structures. Um, I think it's really funny because Lorelai sees the norm of men naming their sons after themselves as one-sided, so she decided to name Rory after herself. And why not? And why not? And what's so great about, you know, Lorelai and Rory is that they're very real characters. Like, that's like the the draw of the show. Granted, a lot of it is very dramatized, but it doesn't depict either of them as perfect. 
you know, it puts mm. them as being human and having flaws. And I think that's like one thing that I continue to mention every time is that women, in order to basically justify being feminists or being, you know, wanting to have equal rights, they have to prove themselves to be perfect. They have to prove themselves to be, you know, incredible. I mean, I was talking to an artist this past weekend and she was a very high level corporate um, person in finance. And she talked about how hard it was um, always having to work at 200% while her counterparts got to work. Her male counterparts got to work at 80%. Or 50% even and still be more rewarded and still be more um, praised and she was like I couldn't make a mistake I couldn't I could not make a mistake because the one thing they would say is because because she's a woman and it was like crazy to me that you know it's not just in and shown in you know books and movies but it is shown in real life and it just goes to show you like how important it is for you know pop culture representations to be accurate of you know normalizing that everybody makes mistakes right that it has nothing to do with gender it just is a human experience that you cannot you know oppress another gender for their mistakes in certain like in certain things everybody Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, everybody absolutely. has those days. <laughs> of course, everybody makes mistakes. But I think what adds on to this, like maybe like amplifying it, is that someone that would usually, maybe let's say the man stays more in the house and does more household stuff, right? And the woman goes to work. So if the woman tries to help in the household then because she doesn't know the household as well she would end up making more mistakes as would the man when he would leave and do something else right right so that's like i think there's one important aspect of it is like considering like where those people are coming from and what their experience is with certain things right because if you don't put that into consideration of course someone with like way more experience will already know, okay, I shouldn't do this because this will lead to that. And someone that's just starting off needs to make those connections right, and those experiences but, for themselves. But what is different, though, is that the way women are raised is typically not that, well, if you're good at one thing, it's okay if you're not good at the other thing. It's like, how can you not be a good lover, a good mother, a good homemaker, a good executive, a good, like you have to be good at everything. You have to be hot, but not too hot. You have to be modest, but not too modest. You have to know when to be sexy. You know, you have to know when to be um, a boss, but then you also know when to be humble. And then like, it's so funny because I was at the gym listening to Beyonce's song Diva and it was, you know, Diva is a female version of a hustler. And, you know, also in the song, um, the man by Taylor Swift, where she was like, you know, like I would have, um, I, if I were a man, I'd be like Leo, like Leo DiCaprio, 
like nobody questions his weird behavior he was just he was just like he's freaking leo dicaprio um if she doesn't have to prove herself and that's the point i'm getting at is that like you have to prove yourself every single day you are running an uphill battle like you know you are running as fast as you can all the time while your male counterparts are just jogging along just to prove yourself to say, hey, I am this smart. I am this worthy. I am, you know, capable of having multitudes within me. And that means also like running as fast as you can uphill in the sense of saying, hey, you also need to let me have mistakes. You also need to let me have not be perfect because that's where people, um, draw like this line it's like well if you claim that you're this and you have to be perfect at this and that's not true like nobody is perfect at that like if you say like oh i play soccer but you are aren't the best soccer player at all times right they're gonna be like well then how do you play soccer how can you say you're a soccer player if you're not amazing in that same context to put it like for women, it's like if you're a feminist, why do you ask men for help? It's like, well, because sometimes like I can't do something. Like if I could ask a woman who was like six four and like buff and I knew that person, I would ask her. But also that promotes hyper independence and promotes women and men to be against each other when they should be working together. Yeah, I agree. It's important to work together as a team. It is important because, to work together and it is important to have community to rely on other people. It's psychologically important. It's evolutionary important, um, genetically important for you to have a community other than yourself. You know, your mental health needs it, your physical health needs it. There are so many like strict rules for everything all the time. And it's like, well, if you can only be either or, right? And that's not true. Like, in humanity, you can be multiple things. You can like multiple things. Like, if I say my favorite food, my favorite candy is like Reese's. I love Reese's cup. Like, but I don't like peanut butter on its own. Mm-hmm. But my favorite candy is peanut butter cups with chocolate. Ironic. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's, it's weird. Right? But that's like, that's what I'm saying is that like, as a woman or as a man who's a feminist, right? You can have certain ideals and certain ways of thinking and maybe it doesn't ap- apply all the time perfect and exact to certain people's school of thought. Yeah, I mean, most. I would hope that most of the time you are not complying to the school of thought of other people but to the school of your own thoughts. Right, absolutely. And I think that's what Lorelai in her very human um, portrayal, right? Yeah. She's not this like fantastical character. She's no, she's very human and very, very like the way they wrote her real. is very human, very real. Is that is that like you can be empowering and you can be a very strong role model and making mistakes and having flaws is part of being a role model is part of being successful, is part of being 
great for both men and women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you have someone like as a role model and they are like perfect, so they don't make any mistakes, that just means that they only do the stuff that they are really comfortable with. So I would rather learn from someone that consistently does different things with some mistakes but ends up learning from them rather than someone that's like not doing anything and not making any mistakes, right? Exactly. Um, and with that, we wrap up the episode on Lorelai Victoria Gilmore. And I want to end it with her favorite phrase, which is, Oi, with the poodles already. <laughs> <laughs> that was our podcast for today we hope you had a great time thank you guys for joining and spending today or any day during the week with us we hope you really enjoyed it and as usual please give us a nice rating five stars only of course and feel free to check out our youtube um and if you guys want to reach out you can reach out on instagram via stories of s's or on our new email address, which is info at storiesofesses.com. Shout out to our very good friend, Schmitty. Schmitty, who helped us set this stuff up. So if anyone needs contact details for someone that is very affine with IT, and I know they also do like server room equipment stuff, reach out to us and we can connect you guys. Yeah, honestly, Schmitty is the best, and he's also the Super Bowl king. He made amazing macaroni and cheese, grilled chicken, no, fried chicken. Fried chicken. Cake. Uh, I'm so, so jealous that I'm not there right now, but um, yeah, Schmitty, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, and we really appreciate all you listeners from literally all over the world, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Belgium, India, the US. Crazy, crazy, crazy. We thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen to us. And we are so, so excited for the next couple of episodes. And we just wish you guys the best. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye, guys. Cheers. <laughs>